The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now. We want more of you from your word. By the power of your spirit, we want to see what you've purchased for us in your son Jesus. And more than anything, we want you to make this text reality among us. So please, that is a miracle of your spirit. And we're praying that you'd come and do it for the sake of your name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were coming today just really eager for Ananias and Sapphira, I apologize. We'll get back to them next week. So just give some background on this sermon, where it came from, why we're taking a week out of Acts, one more week out of Acts after a couple already out. And I'll just be honest. Uh, what happened is I was uh, in one prayer meeting one day and then praying with another uh, brother in my office, and both in the, both the prayer meeting and in my office, this prayer was prayed, not by me, and I thought, I want to think about that some more. So I went back. We, we had to go through all of Ephesians in detail in seminary. I went back and memorized these verses again and started trying to get them deep in my heart and thinking about them, and the more I did that, the more I couldn't step away. So I just felt like, I'm just going to go all and study this thing, and then uh, I'm the preacher here right now, and so I guess I'll preach it because that's where my heart is. And so, if none of you are here with me, then just indulge me for the next half hour or so, and uh, let's go up to the Lord together. So I want to start, as I've just been thinking about the, the landscape that we're living in right now, with this, this idea of identity. There's a lot of talk of identity in these days. And identity is really at the core, just trying to answer the question, who am I? Right? Who am I? Or... For us, who are we? That's what we mean when we're talking about identity. Who am I? Who are we? And we hear lots of talk about identity politics, right? A kind of politics that seeks to label people according to certain issues and seeks to form divisions and allegiances based on those labels. So identity is just more and more the the language we hear, the air we breathe. So I was thinking, how could I give an example of this that wouldn't make someone mad? So, and I'll probably make a few of you mad, but I'm going to try a simple, silly one, a lighthearted one with you. So here's one identity statement from me. I am a Packer fan. Now that's <laughs> good. I'm glad that you're amening that right away. It's great. Now that's a simple statement about a silly thing. But it helps us understand this idea of identity because there's a history and implications with this identity. So when I say I'm a Packer fan, you just hear, well, we don't like that. But when I say I'm a Packer fan, all these other things are at play, right? Both sets of my grandparents lived in Green Bay. So when you walk around the halls mocking my kids' Packer gear, you're you're mocking their heritage. (laughs) I grew up in Wisconsin, Right? So there's a history to that identity. I remember getting dirt from Lambeau Field after they won the championship back in 1997. 
I remember driving home from the, the Super Bowl party we were at, from them winning, and cars honking at each other, near accidents happening all over because no one was paying attention, just the, the feeling of that moment. And then I remember lots of heartbreaking games in between the next time we won it all in 2010. And I apologize if winning it all isn't something many of you can relate to. <laughs> beyond that history, beyond that history, comes an experience that begins to shape and mold a part of who you are so that now even my kids have really gotten into it and now they're sharing in the joys and like last week, the sorrows with me. So it's not just an individual identity anymore. right? Packers fans very gladly put aside all sorts of differences in other areas of life to come together on Sundays. Sometimes better than the church does. Right? There's a bond forged in our history, our experiences, and this shared identity that brings us together with our eyes fixed on a silly football field. We share in joys and sorrows despite many differences. You've got pre-COVID, you look in the stands at a Lambeau field on Sunday, and you realize people are very different there, but they are all in in that moment together. And we live in an age where we are quick to label and quick to divide. And sometimes we do it so much, so much, that we wonder if there's anything left to unite over. Like, have you ever had that thought? <laughs> what, what do we even have in common anymore? Like, I thought I knew these people. I thought I understood them. And what do we even have in common? And so what I want to start this sermon by doing is taking a few minutes now from Ephesians 1 to 3 before we get into our text today to remind us of our breathtaking identity as Christians. I want to show you that our identity and unity is rooted in what is eternal, and therefore our identity as Christians should take first place and be uniting even when there are real and hard and deep temporary divides. Because we have an eternal union. So I just want to walk through, if you want to kind of page through Ephesians with me, you can, or just kind of let this wash over you like a waterfall. What do we have in common? What is our identity? Well, Ephesians 1.3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not 95% of the spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Or verses 4-5 to five says we have been chosen before the foundation of the world predestined to be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. Or chapter 1, verses 6 to 8 says, we have the grace of Christ, not just a little bit of it, but lavished on us. Lavished on us. Or verses 11 to 14 of chapter 1, we have an eternal inheritance. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're going to get that inheritance. Or chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, we've had the eyes of our hearts opened by the power of the Spirit to understand the hope we've been called to, the inheritance Christ has in His church, and the resurrection power of God used to raise Christ and us from the dead. Or chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, we have been made alive from the dead by no work of our own, but because of the great love and mercy of God toward us, rescued from the death and wrath that we were gladly walking in. 
Or chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. It says, we've been raised up, seated with Christ in the heavenly places now, and the promise that what God intends to do with his church, with his people, is forever show off the riches of his kindness. Like, not just saved now, but forever God's going, I'm just going to show off how kind I am through these sinful people that I've saved. Or chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. Been saved by grace, not by any works of our own. Or chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. We who were once far off and without hope, without God in the world, have been brought near and given unshakable hope in Jesus Christ. And not only is this individual, but chapter 2, verses 15 to 22 say that he has broken down every wall of separation to create one new humanity. No longer a reality in the church dominated by worldly identities, but one new man in Jesus Christ. One new household. One. Not Republican Christians and Democrat Christians, not the mask advocates and the non-mask advocates, just one new man in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. We're brought into this. We're one new people. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, called the church. A place that God is using, despite our weaknesses, to make known His manifold wisdom of the gospel, of the person and work of Jesus, not just here on earth, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. As they look down, they go, that's the wisdom of God. That's what you're a part of. And all of this is to the praise of the glory of the grace of our God purchased by the blood of Jesus, the only one worthy to reconcile us to God and to each other and to bring us to glory forever. That's our identity. That's your heritage. That's your history. The history of our identity begins before the foundation of the world and stretches into everlasting glory. Like when you look around, look at the the person right now you don't like the most. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You're going to be with them forever, whether you like it or not. Right? Our identity is the amazing, personal, individual saving work by the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will in Jesus Christ. And our identity is being brought into the people of God, the church, the one new humanity through whom God means to show off his wisdom and kindness for all of eternity. Church, in a divided time, feel again with deep joy the breathtaking reality of our identity in Jesus. This is as true today as it ever has been. Certainly, this is deeper than our differences. Certainly, this goes further than our differences go. So with that history, that heritage, that identity, let's dive in to our text. Point number one, the exhortation to unity, our walk. Look at verse one and then verse three with me to start here. It says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of of peace. Here Paul calls his church to walk worthy of the calling and identity that I just laid before you from chapters 1 to 3. And while he does this, he reminds them that he's a prisoner. Why does he do that? Well, I think he means to tell them 
that a life lived in this identity is not necessarily an easy life. In fact, it's often a costly life. In fact, throughout all of history, it's been a costly life, a life filled with suffering and persecution and pain and hostility, but his point is it's worth it. Here I am in prison, walk worthy because he's worth it. We seek to walk in a manner worthy because Jesus is worth it. The idea of walking here is just the most common phrase used for our day-to-day living. And the idea of worthy here is the idea of fitting. Just walk in a way that fits with all of what you just saw in chapters 1 to 3. Paul is saying living for Jesus is costly, but living in a way that is fitting with the gospel is worth it because Jesus is worthy. Kids, it's good for you to hear this now. (laughs) I've been talking to my kids about this all the time lately. Sometimes, much of the time, following Jesus makes life harder. We are past the point in our culture where it's cool to be a Christian. We get cultural capital for that. It shouldn't make us afraid or panicky. Right? Being a Christian is no longer often going to make you popular or more well-liked at your school or on your teams or in your activities. But we're not Christians and we've never been Christians because we think we can get more power or prestige or protection in this world. In fact, 1 Corinthians teaches us that the world is going to think we're weak and foolish. Like derogatory terms, weak and stupid, just foolish people. But Paul wants you to know right away here, Jesus is worth it. These chains are worth it. Walk worthy. Walk in a way that's fitting. Now this call to walk worthy is kind of a blanket statement over all of chapters 4 to 6. But the first item up on the agenda is to walk in unity as the church. We see that in verse 3. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice two things. Number one, it doesn't say create this unity. It says maintain this unity. We have this unity because of Jesus. This unity has been purchased already in Jesus. Our job is to not mess the thing up. We don't got to create it. Right? We don't have to make sure that there's perfect alignment everywhere. We just got to not mess this unity up. Just maintain it. And notice it does not say uniformity. Right? We're all different. We have different preferences and opinions on things. We have differences about what we think about masks. We do, that's fine. We've got differences about particulars of politics. And guess what? There's been differences about all sorts of things before 2020. Right? The church didn't just start disagreeing and dividing over things with different opinions, different thoughts in 2020. I've been a pastor for a little while now. I know that that just kind of always happens. But despite those differences, despite that lack of uniformity, there is a deep Spirit-created unity in the gospel of Jesus, in the things of first importance. We now have peace with God, and that vertical peace is meant to extend and be lived out horizontally by the power of the Spirit as a bond of our life together. 
He's saying, you have, you have peace with God. Live that out among one another. Let that be your bond. So the question for us is just, are we eager to maintain what Jesus has already purchased? Is, is that where our hearts are at? When you look at your life and this blood-bought family, even those you feel most disagreement with, is the main thing that happens in your mind. Oh, how much more we have in common. We have an eternal history. We have an eternal future together. I'm not going to let this come between this family. Is that where your mind runs? Is that where your heart goes? Do we major on the majors and seek unity together in the gospel, or do we major in the minors and let them destroy this Spirit-created unity in this blood-bought peace? Before Paul refers to this eagerness, he gives us some characteristics, some spirit-wrought characteristics we need to maintain in, the, in verse 2. So look at verse 2 with me. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now what struck me about these terms as I was reading them this week is that if everything was going to be awesome all the time in the family of God, Paul wouldn't have to write this. He wouldn't have to write this. It was just automatic. Right? If, if we weren't tempted to be undone by our pride on various issues we wouldn't need a call to humility. We wouldn't need a call to gentleness if Paul didn't know that we were as humans going to get so amped up about relational pains and different preferences that we're going to be tempted to be harsh. We wouldn't need a call to patience if Paul didn't know that our fuses would at times grow short with one another. We wouldn't need a call to bear with one another in love if Paul didn't know that we were going to really, really get on each other's nerves and want to walk away. The, the calls are here because Paul understands our brokenness. Being in a blood-bought family for a long time means we will experience pain in relationships. Just will. You're going to experience disappointment in expectations. You're going to experience difference of opinion in things that you really, really care about. Right? Maybe someone thinks differently than you or someone just doesn't care enough about your thing. And you're going to experience countless careless comments and countless awkward situations that you won't find advertised on our church website. If you're anywhere meaningful for a while, you will get hurt. And if you're anywhere for a while, you will hurt others. Sometimes by accident, and sometimes, yes, even you, even me, on purpose. You'll say things in a way that you know stings. You'll, you'll do things in a way that you know hurts, or you'll have things said or done to you. Satan will seek to sneak into our hearts, through that comment in that small group, right? Like, what was that? They know about that thing in my life and they still said that. How could they say that? Or that post you see on Facebook, huh? Do you see what they posted? Can you even believe that they would post that? Well, 
I'll post an article on mine, right? A couple hours later, so it's not so obvious. <laughs> Satan will seek to sow division and gossip, perhaps even more subtly, maybe more dangerous than everything I just said, more subtle would be that Satan would seek to begin to have you distance yourself from those people and have your heart grow cold to part of this family. And it's a real danger here because we're not quite as big as the other campuses, but we're big enough that you can do that. You can distance yourself from those people and let your heart grow cold to that part of the family. Church I pastored before this was a lot smaller, and you, you really couldn't do that. There was one door, and you were going to see everybody all the time, and there was beauty in that. There's beauty and problems in both. Satan will seek to rebuild walls that the blood of Jesus has torn down. So we've got to be careful here because we think that we're just doing our thing, having our opinions, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What we need is the grace to walk in these characteristics and be eager to maintain this unity. Now, if you're struggling with someone in this blood-bought family, like, like I know some of you are, I know it because you've, you've told me there's, there's struggles, there's pains, there's hurts out there, not for all of you, but for some of you, there's two options, right? So how do we maintain this unity? How do we do it? And I keep saying this over and over again, and Stacy reminded me of it as she was reading through my uh, manuscript ahead of time, and there's two options, right? Number one is let it go. Truly move on. Really release that person from the anger of your heart. Just say, it's okay. I'm just going to let that one go. Or the other option is to talk to them about the hurt that you're feeling. Talk to them. All this has to be done in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. All of this has to be done with our history and the future that we have in Christ in mind. But you can let it go, really, or you can talk to them. Those are really the only two options we have in the Bible. We don't have the option to ignore it and let bitterness grow in our hearts. When you do that, the only person you're poisoning is you, even though you're really nailing them in those fake conversations. Right? When we do this, when we let our hearts grow cold and bitter, we're not taking one of the options the Bible has given us to either really let it go or go and talk to them. We need power to do this. This is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. One of the things that happens most when I say these things is that people say something like, well, I don't know if I can let it go, but it's going to be way too hard to go talk to them. But that's what Ephesians 1-3 to is for. As Christians, right, more than anyone else in the world, we have rest and security and safety in the gospel to go in humility and just say, I'm hurting. This hurt me. Help me understand. I, I want to know. I don't assume I was right. Maybe I hurt you first. I, I don't know. But, man, we have this eternal history back here together. We have eternal glory together. Like, let's not make this go on forever. Let's keep short accounts. And the good news 
is at the end of Ephesians 3, it says that God has poured His Spirit into our hearts that we might know the love of God so that the Spirit might powerfully work in us to know the height and the breadth and the depth of His love and then be able to overflow in that love to others. So I want to encourage you, one thing that helps me in this, I struggle with this too, is to take a moment and remember the gentleness of Christ towards me and the humility of Christ towards me and the patience of Christ towards me and the forbearance all the way to the cross of Christ towards me. And then we just plead in prayer, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. Help me be eager to maintain what you have already purchased by your blood. Make me more like you are to me towards them. Help me have your heart for your people. Help me have your mind for your people. Point number two, the encouragement to unity, which is our oneness. So Paul doesn't just leave us with an exhortation, but he motivates us with an encouragement. So let's read these verses together. It says, There's one body, one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Here, Paul is saying, yes, you will be tempted to pride, to harshness, to impatience, to giving up on each other to divide, but remember your oneness. Notice that there's seven of them, which is symbolic for wholeness and perfection. You are perfectly, you are wholly united in these things by the blood of Christ. Let's just look at them one one at a time here. What is Paul referring to? First, there's one body. (laughs) Practically what this means is you can't get into a different body. You could go to a different church, but you can't get into a different body. There's one body. And Jesus means for us to live out this body of life and local expressions. This is his body. We've been brought into this one body by the blood of Jesus, and therefore we need each other even when we don't want each other. So the exhortation here from Paul be, don't run away and divide the body. Don't be the cancer that you don't want to see infect the body. There is one body. There's one spirit. We're the new temple of God. The same spirit dwells in each of us and dwells among us as a people. The spirit dwells in us to help us comprehend with all the saints, chapter 3, that is together, What is the breadth and length and width and height of the love of God in Christ then lives in us to help us display that? Or there's one call. We just outlined the the depth and amazing reality of that call and identity in Ephesians 1-3. to And that call and identity is the one hope. The hope of being brought near to Christ by the blood of Jesus. The hope of an eternal inheritance forever around the throne together declaring that He's worthy. This is the hope of all ages of those in Christ, no matter the political or cultural climate we live in. One of my things I'm trying to do in 2021 is just to go deep again in church history because, man, this time we're living in right now is crazy. And I just got to remember, man, it's been crazy a lot in the past. And this one hope has been what has carried the church through every crazy time, times much crazier than the ones we're even in. There's one Lord. Right? We have one King. 
We seek to submit to Him together. We hope in Him together. We obey Him together. We find refuge in Him together. We trust in His sovereign reign together. There's no other saviors. There's no other lords. There's no other people we worship as a church. There's no other name by which we are saved. Or one faith. Faith in that one Lord. Faith that is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Faith in the person and work of Jesus. Faith that we fight for together side by side. Or one baptism. Paul's saying, remember, you've been marked and identified as a follower of Jesus. You've publicly declared your allegiance to this king and his people. You have deeper kinship and fellowship in this kingdom than any other worldly allegiance. You're a citizen of heaven first. That's what baptism is about. One God and Father of all. You're all children of God by the blood of Jesus. You're in the same family You can't leave this family. This is who we are together. Family with God as our Father. When you look around this room or your living room or wherever you are right now watching this, you see your truest brothers and sisters. Your truest brothers and sisters as you look around this room. There is no other thing in the world, or at least there ought not be any other thing in the world, that unites like the oneness we have as the people of God. There are no deeper roots of commonality than what we have in Christ. There's no more amazing supernatural bond than the one we have together as we rejoice in our great salvation that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. There's no room here for distance and cliques and factions in the body of Christ. Even if you want that, you cannot divide up the body any more than you can divide up the person of Christ. We are His body. Christ purchases unity with his blood for his great glory to show the supremacy of God's worthiness in all things for the joy of all peoples. So we should be, even in 2020, in 2021, with everything going on, we should be looking around at each other like a bunch of fans honking our horns that just won the championship. We really should. Because Jesus hasn't changed. Right? Jesus wins. He's saved us. We belong to Him. We'll be with Him forever. Oh, how deep is our victory in Jesus that unites us and is always worth celebrating together. But that's what the the environment of the church should feel like. Like, (laughs) we won. We still won. Right? Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every day is Easter because Jesus is alive and we're still in him and with him. So Paul exhorts us to be eager to maintain our unity as we seek to walk in the humility, gentleness, and patience and love of Christ. And he encourages us in this with our deep oneness. So as you look around this room, as you walk in on a Sunday morning, as you think about your brothers and sisters even right now who are at home watching, who aren't here with us yet, as you look around you should realize the miracle of the gospel and the Holy Spirit in the people around you. Every person in this room who believes in Jesus is a miracle. They're in your family from eternity past into eternity future. So look around. This is the miracle. This is what God's doing. This is his church. This is his family. And realize the depth of our unity that we have in Jesus. So here's the application, our beautiful 
itinerary. None of this changes that it's truly been a trying season that has stretched us and tested us, right? It's, it's stretched us and tested us as pastors, as elders. I've said over and over again, there is no pastoring in a pandemic class in seminary. So every turn of this thing has been new to us, like to you, but it's been trying and testing for all of you. It's been trying and testing for all of us in different ways. There's been plenty to disagree on. There's been plenty to divide over. Satan really has done some work to cast doubt and suspicion. He's worked to kind of create distance and disgust. He's worked in lots of different settings and circumstances. It's been hard and wearying for many And I know that because many of you have simply told me I'm so weary. But here's the beauty of being a Christian in these days. The gospel is still true. God's purposes will still come to pass. King Jesus is still reigning. And therefore, our unity is still intact. It still is. Jesus will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. We talked at the beginning about our breathtaking identity. I want to end by talking about the beauty of our itinerary. If all this is true, then where are we going? What's the plan for the journey? And because the circumstances cannot change God's purposes or his reign or our citizenship in heaven or our unity in the gospel, then our itinerary is very clear. And it's simply know Christ together and make him known. It's what it's always been and what it's always going to be. So look at verses 13 to 16 with me, which is the next time we see this word for unity in Ephesians. Verses 13 to 16 of chapter 4 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if you're going to ask the elders here, for example, what's your goal? What's your goal in 2020? What's your goal in 2021? I think the answer would be we want to keep preaching Christ in such a way that we'd be equipping this church to grow together in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. And that's what it was in 2018. And that's what it was in 2019. And that's what it's going to be in 2022 by God's grace. Like We just want you to know Jesus. We just want you to trust Jesus. We just want you to walk with Him and love Him and want more of Him than you want anything else. We just want to keep maturing in Jesus together so that when these waves come, we wouldn't be tossed to and fro. We wouldn't be fooled, but that we would know Christ and trust Christ so deeply that we could speak the truth in love to each other, that this body would build itself up in love. Every part important, every part needed, every part united in Christ and building this body up in love in the truth of the gospel. This is our itinerary. 
given to us by Jesus, never changing. Know Christ deeper. Remember our identity. Remember our unity. Be eager to maintain it. Speak the truth in love. Be humble. Be patient. Bear with each other. And by God's grace, through all of that messiness, grow up together in Christ. This is what it looks like to increasingly walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Despite our differences, Bethlehem in an age of divide and differences, be encouraged that the gospel is still true and our identity is still secure. Our oneness cannot be taken or shaken. Our identity is breathtaking. And if we would walk out this itinerary in all of the messiness and brokenness, we would experience ourselves and show the world a beautiful picture of the gospel on display in the blood-bought family of God. This is an opportunity for us to live out what Jesus has already purchased. We would build up this body in love and then see that love overflow to our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and to the nations. In an age of frustration and weariness, remember our love and our rest has roots in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In an age of identity politics and factions, remember our identity is firmly established fully, freely, and forever in King Jesus. We are children of the King. That's who we are. By God's amazing grace, we are children of King Jesus. We are a blood-bought family. Whether you like that phrase or not, it's just everywhere in the Bible. We're on this journey together. We can't get out of it. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is better than anything else. And my prayer, as we approach this, my prayer coming out of this is that we would remember our unity in Him and run after Him together hard until the day He brings us home. So let's take a few minutes now. Go before the Lord before we eat and drink together. And just in, in this moment, would you be bringing the hurts, bringing the pains, bringing the bitterness bringing it to Jesus and remembering who you are and who the people are around you as we come to eat and drink together in a couple minutes. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.